that is important for all of us. We all need to have someone mature in the faith, whether even dead theologians that we read, but we need someone more mature in the faith to explain the way of God more accurately to us. That's a part of Christian discipleship. You're listening to a sermon series titled Romans, preached at Shoreline Church. For more audio or theological content, please visit thisisshoreline.com. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, that you would illuminate this text to us by the Spirit of God and encourage our hearts as we study this text together. It's in Christ's name and for Christ's glory that we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we come to the epilogue of the book of Romans, what we call chapter 16, but in no way is this an unrelated appendix to the study that we've been going through, to the letter. What we're going to see today is very insightful, and it actually helps flesh out, so to speak, what Paul has been addressing through the entire epistle of Romans. Chrysostom says that even from bare names, it's possible to find great treasure. And it's my intention for us this morning to mine uh, this text and these names for great treasure together. Next week, uh, Nick Potts, who is a part of our teaching cohort, and who's actually not even here at church this morning, uh, he's going to be, he's out of town, he's going to be teaching uh, Psalm 88, and we're very excited to hear that. So I encourage you to read ahead for next week, Psalm 88. Uh, a little bit of a heavy lament psalm. And then in two weeks, we'll conclude the book of Romans with the second half of chapter 16. And after the book of Romans, uh, we've been going through Romans since last February, which is incredible. It's been an amazing study. Uh, We're excited to announce today that the next series that we're going to be doing uh, when we conclude Romans is the book of Genesis. And we're very excited about that. We anticipate that study being just as impacting to our church as the book of Romans has been. Now, as you just noticed from Shane reading these verses, Paul is listing a series of names. And you could say that these are shout outs where Paul recognizes various people to whom he's addressing. Typically in our emails, we list the two, we list the person we're writing to at the very top, and then we write our email and don't forget the subject. And then at the very end, we put our name. But in Paul's day, you would, you would invert this. You would write, first of all, your name and why you were uh, qualified to write this letter. And you'd begin to address the people you're writing to. But then at the very end, you would specifically call out by name those who you're writing to. And so today, what we're going to see is Paul throwing out his greetings to 27 distinct believers by name. And these believers were all a part of the church in the city of Rome, Italy. But note with me, before we dive into this text, what words are repeated over and over and over in these verses? We're going to see the word greet mentioned 18 times. And then my, so there's a very personal nature to this, uh, is mentioned eight times. Beloved is mentioned four times. Fellow, three times. Work or worker, worked. Uh, five times, and then the phrase in the Lord or the title Christ together collectively are mentioned 12 times. So that almost reads like a sentence, doesn't it? Look at that. Greet my beloved fellow workers in the Lord. And that's really what Paul's doing. He's going to take this time to recognize a group of people. But what we're going to do is study this in three different sections. 
So we're going to see, first of all, a commendation. And this is different than the rest of these. Paul gives a, he commends, if you would, Phoebe, a very important servant to her church, but maybe unknown to the church in Rome, and he commends her to them to receive her, to welcome her, to support her. We're also going to see in verses 3 through 5a, cooperation. So out of this list of names uh, of the church in Rome, Paul first emphasizes those who uh, he uh, has been cooperating with, those who have been right alongside Paul in his ministry for years and years. And then we'll see in verses 5b through the rest of verse 16, consideration where Paul recognizes dozens of different names uh, in the church in Rome. So let's begin by looking at that commendation in verse 1, uh, the commendation of Phoebe. Verse 1 says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sincreae, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she's been a patron of many and of myself as well. So he's commending to them a woman named Phoebe. She is a servant of the church in Sincrea. That was a port city near Corinth, about, about eight miles, about from here to Detweiler's. So, so she's in a, in a port city nearby in Greece, and it's believed by many that Phoebe was the one who carried uh, the letter that they're reading publicly in the church that she was the one who hand-delivered it to them in Rome. The Holy Spirit had inspired Paul to dictate this letter out loud to Tertius. Tertius was his amanuensis or his, uh, his scribe who uh, was much in a much greater way than Siri or Alexa who always gets what you're asking wrong. He actually was correctly notating and scribing out uh, what Paul was speaking out loud and writing it onto parchment. And then ostensibly, Phoebe takes the parchment and hand delivers it uh, from Corinth, where Paul was at this time, to Italy, to the city of Rome. Now notice with me how Paul describes Phoebe. Did you catch it? He says, a servant of the church at Sincrea. Uh, so this word servant is a very important word. I'd love for you to circle it and make this note in your Bibles. This is the word we translate elsewhere as deacon. Now, some believe that Phoebe may have been an official deaconess in the church in Sincrea, where others, like me, believe that Paul was using this word in a formal yet unofficial sense. In other words, he's pointing out she was a critical a role. She played a critical role in the church that she, she served in, in her church community in a few different ways. She was a wealthy benefactor. She was a supporter of ministry, and she was also a willing courier with this letter. But to call her a servant doesn't necessarily mean that she was an appointed official deacon with the title of deacon or deaconess. In fact, the word deaconess wasn't coined for about until about 50 years after uh, this was written. And so it wasn't used anywhere in Greek writing for at least another 50 to 100 years. So we don't know if she's an official appointed deacon. I would say not so much. First Timothy 3 points out the deacons are husband of one wife. Many people would say that the next part of First Timothy 3 describes the deacon's wife. Uh, and so we're not sure about that. What do we know is she was a servant, that she was someone who cared for the fellowship. Perhaps this was among women. Perhaps this was the poorer and weaker members of her church. I do like what John Stott says about this. He says, the prominent place occupied by women in Paul's entourage shows that he was not at all the male chauvinist of popular fantasy, as many people try to paint him. Among the women that Paul greets, 
Four were hard workers in the Lord's service. So Paul says here that Phoebe has been a patron of many, and he says, of myself as well. Would you guys circle that word patron? That word's only used here in the New Testament, and it would rightly be translated patroness. It's actually the Greek word for a female benefactor. So Phoebe was a wealthy woman who used her resources, like we learned last week, to support ministry. And Paul writes to the church in Rome a letter here, and this is an extra commendation, an extra letter to commend her. And this was a common practice in the ancient world. You would need to show up at a city. Again, there's no background checks. Uh, How do we know that you're legit? How do we know you're not um, someone who's a huckster, who's trying to fraud, you know, commit fraud? And so this was an important part of the ancient world, having letters of commendation from known sources. So in, in Acts 18, Luke explains the church of Ephesus did this for Apollos. It says, when he visit, uh, wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. That was Apollos' letter of commendation. Uh, in fact, Paul in 2 Corinthians 3 says, you yourselves are our letter of commendation. You have been written on our hearts to be known and read by all. So this is a common practice, and Paul's doing this uh, to commend her to the church as a servant who's been a patron, a helper to many. Their responsibility then, note, is to welcome her and to extend to her the same help that she has been known to give to others. What help, so to speak, would Phoebe expect or need from the Romans? As she arrives in this new city with this inspired text that's now in canon of Scripture, what help would she need from the church? In a word, she would need their hospitality. She would need for them to welcome her as Christ would welcome them to the glory of God. Where have we heard that before? We've heard that in Romans 15, verse 7, haven't we? Where we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us to the glory of God. You see, the church here had another Gentile who needed to be welcomed into their fellowship. It was a Gentile unknown to them, this woman, Phoebe. The New Testament commentary says that people like Phoebe needed from them a cordial word of greeting, good advice, protection against danger, and frequently even a friendly home in which to pass the night, or even the days and nights until the next ship would leave harbor on the way to their destination. Uh, So I encourage us as well to be hospitable. So he commends her to the church. He asks them to welcome her and help her uh, and receive her. Commendation. Next, Paul addresses his fellow workers with this section cooperation. So look at verse 3. Shane read the word Priscilla, but here in the ESV it's Prisca. Her name is Priscilla and it's, uh, it's used... Uh, back and forth throughout the scriptures as Prisca or Priscilla. Notice verse 3, greet Priscilla or Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. So this woman Priscilla or Prisca and her husband Aquila were Paul's, notice what he says, fellow workers in Christ Jesus. This couple, this pair, are mentioned six times in the New Testament. But the first place we meet them is in Acts chapter 18. And here it is on the screen. Acts 18 says, After this, Paul, 
left Athens and he went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy, arguably from Rome, with his wife Priscilla. Why? Because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So Claudius expels the Jews from Italy, and so they are Jewish. They leave, and they meet Paul because they work in the same industry that Paul engaged in to fund much of his missionary endeavors. It was tent making, and they were tent makers. So they're involved in the same skill, the same trade. They meet up, and eventually Paul leaves Corinth for a, a certain amount of time, and we learn from Acts that they came with him. They came with him to minister as far as Ephesus. And there in Ephesus, they meet this, this Alexandrian Jew named Apollos, uh, who we just heard about with the letters of commendation. Apollos would, would preach or teach, and he had eloquence. You would sit and go, now that guy is a gifted communicator. I love listening to Apollos teach. Problem was his doctrine was not complete. He was a, a, a person who un, only understood the baptism of John. So he got as far as John the Baptist. And so there's a few things missing out here. You've missed a few solid points of doctrine. And so he didn't fully understand the gospel, understood the law, understood repentance, may have understood faith, but didn't understand the finished work of Christ. And so uh, in that same chapter of Acts, Luke tells us this down in verse 26. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, remember he's speaking in the synagogue to Jews, when they heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Uh, that is important for all of us. We all need to have someone mature in the faith, whether even dead theologians that we read, but we need someone more mature in the faith to explain the way of God more accurately to us. That's a part of Christian discipleship. And so they do that um, with him. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila take him aside to explain doctrine. Now, Priscilla's mentioned four out of the six times mentioned, she's mentioned before her husband. And commentators love to speculate, why is this? Is this because she became a believer before him? Is this because she had a more prominent part to play in the life of the church? Is this because he was more of a quiet guy and she was much more of a loud woman? Well, that's not clear at all from scripture. Um, the answer is very easy to answer. The answer is this. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know why she's listed first. All of those are arguments from silence. We have to be very careful when we try to be loud and make a, a strong argument from silence. And so we have no biblical reason. I just want to say this. We have no biblical reason to believe Priscilla was the only one counseling Apollo. Some have, have suggested that to me. Well, see, Priscilla, she's a pastor. I'm like, where did you get that from the text? She explained doctrine to another brother in Christ, and her husband was with her. Uh, I, there's, no, there's no proof of that, that she was the only one counseling Apollos. Any more on the flip side that we would say, well, Aquila was the only one correcting Apollos, and his wife is a woman, so she had to sit quietly while her husband explained doctrine. No, both of them as a married couple heard his preaching, and as a couple, they said, oh, there's some, there's some mistakes here we want to help uh, clarify. And so they explained the gospel to him clearly. Again, that's not a case for women elders 
for women to teach and exert spiritual authority over men in a congregation from the pulpit. It's simply a wise Christian woman explaining the gospel clearly to someone with her husband. And so we have to be careful we don't make these arguments from silence. But notice what we can learn. Here in Romans 16, Paul calls them my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Now that's not a common phrase that Paul uses with each and every believer. That word, my fellow workers, is where we obtain the English word synergy from. Uh, So this is where there's a coming alongside, synergistic, we're working together, things are happening. There's energy being put out, but it's synergy because we're doing this together. And so he's saying these two, Priscilla, Aquila, they're different from the rest. They are co-laborers alongside me. And notice that Paul says they risked their necks for me. Now, we don't know when that exactly happened. Um, When he says risk their necks, that arguably means that they may have been threatened with execution. But we don't know when that was. Most likely, it was during the riot in Ephesus that we read about in Acts 19. You You can go back and jot that down. Read Acts 19 at some point this week. So they didn't just build tents with Paul to make a little bit of extra money. Uh, or let's go through Asia and travel through Macedonia. This will, be a fun, this will be a fun work trip. No, they also saw their lives um, being built and other people's lives being built on the foundation of the word of God. I love that the fact that Priscilla and Aquila are always mentioned together in the New Testament. I love that as a married minister. We're all married. Those of us who are married are all ministers, and it's a wonderful joy to do ministry together with your spouse. Uh, What a testimony to a gospel-focused marriage. And I want to encourage those of you who are young, who are not yet married, a married couple in the Lord, equally yoked together, joined together for the cause of Christ. That is a powerhouse for the gospel. Uh, I love what Spurgeon says. He says, when two loving hearts pull together, they accomplish wonders. What different associations cluster around the names of Priscilla and Aquila from those which are awakened by the words Ananias and Sapphira. There we have a husband and a wife conspiring in hypocrisy, and here we have a wife and husband united in sincere devotion. I love that. I love the picture here of husband and wife ministering together. Now, in the first half of verse 5, Paul says, Greet also the church in their house. Now, that does not mean that every single church in the Bible, in the New Testament, only met in homes. In fact, in Acts, we read that the church in Jerusalem met first in the upper room and then in Solomon's colonnade, which is a little bit of an outdoor gathering. We've done those, uh, as well as in one another's homes. So this is descriptive. It's not prescriptive. Some have suggested to me the fact that we're meeting in a building means that we're a pagan uh, representation of the church. And I was like, so where do you meet? They said, in our home. I said, that's also a building. Sorry to tell you. So there's no, there's no glorifying, well, we're in a tent, so we're more holy. We meet outside in the heat, we're more holy. Well, we, we meet where there's drywall, so we're sinners. There's no argument there. It's a public gathering, so now we've crossed the line. Sorry to tell you if you've read those books. Um, and so just because they, they happen to have a church meeting in their home um, doesn't mean they're more dignified or holy, and that's prescriptive and what we must do it that way, church that way. Uh, an InterVarsity Press commentary said this. Uh, we don't have it on the screen, but they said small synagogues sometimes had to meet in homes before they could purchase buildings. Many Greek religious associations 
also did this, and churches did this for the first three centuries, using their income to buy slaves' freedom, to feed the poor, and so forth, rather than building buildings. In Rome, many well-to-do apartments existed above shops in multi-story tenement buildings, and Aquila and Priscilla perhaps lived above their artisan shop. So that's a possibility. All we know is that Paul says, greet the church that's meeting in your home. And he gives thanks to this couple, but then he says all the churches, all the churches of the Gentiles express their gratitude for you as well. Priscilla and Aquila were a ministry duo that came alongside working synergistically with Paul to the extent that the churches in the first century recognized their name and they also would say, we're thanking God for this incredible couple. An indelible blessing to Paul, to the church in Rome and many of the churches in the first century. So Paul says, I'm thankful for them, greet them. Now, we have a third section. And I want to save much of our time for this list of names. And what you're going to recognize here in this third section of consideration, I'm going to say this phrase a lot, is we can't know for sure. Because there's a lot of church tradition that's interjected in here. There's a lot of uh, somewhat church history and speculation. So we're going to do our best to navigate through some of that and stick to what we do know, okay? So look at verse five, the second half. Greet my beloved Epineatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. We don't know the exact details. We don't learn about this in Acts. This is the only place he's mentioned. And Paul wants him to be greeted because he's the first believer in Paul's missionary endeavors in Asia. As a missionary, it's an incredibly important and valuable Wondrous moment when that first convert comes to Christ. And so Paul remembers Epinatus, the first convert uh, to the Lord in Asia. Then he says in verse 6, Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. So there's a lot of Marys in the New Testament. There's at least six that we know. This would be a seventh. This is not another one of those Marys. And we aren't sure what she did to work hard for the church, but when Paul uses that phrase, who has worked hard for you. He uses that 14 times in the New Testament. And 12 of those times, uh, he's speaking about hard work done in service to the Lord. And, And so most of that time is in the context of heralding the gospel as well as nurturing believers. So Um, Right out of the gate, the first convert he greets and then someone who's worked very hard in proclaiming the gospel. We don't know, maybe Mary um, was someone who led many people to faith just as Epineatus was one to faith. Then he says in verse seven, greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. All right, so look at that phrase for a minute. They are well known to the apostles. You're going to hear this argument uh, put out by some people that because of the way this is translated in some versions, um, that some translations say they are uh, of note among the apostles. So what you'll hear some people say is Junia and Andronicus were apostles like Peter, James, and John. So they had apostolic authority to write scripture. They had apostolic authority Uh, to uh, plant churches, uh, and they could speak, uh, you know, in in ways that would have authority rooted underneath them. Uh, And so there's a very weak support for that argument. And what I've said before, we can't adopt strong doctrinal positions from from vague scriptures. 
But most likely what's happening here is they're simply a couple that was known to the other apostles, as the ESV translates. So the apostles, Peter, James, and John, knew them. They were known among the other apostles. Or it could be, if it is, they were of note among the apostles that Paul is using that in, I would say, in a little a sense, meaning they're sent ones. They are they're apostolic in the sense of they're missionaries. They're sent out from the church. And out of all the missionaries that have been sent out, Andronicus and Junia uh, were well known. Uh, again, these are arguments that are very vague. Um, they may have been married, maybe not. But we do know Paul says they're my kinsmen. So they're ethnically Jewish. And they're also fellow prisoners. So not fellow workers like Priscilla and Aquila. Some are fellow workers, but this couple are a fellow uh, prisoner. So they had been put in chains for the gospel. Paul also says they were in Christ before me. So they had a reputation of walking with Christ even before Paul had received the Lord uh, far earlier than he had uh, on his, uh, in his conversion moment on the road to Damascus. So they were in the Lord before him. So he, this may have been an older couple who had been well-known to the apostles um, maybe 20 years earlier. So an older couple who were pillars in the church. Then he says in verse 8, Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. We don't know much about this brother, except that Paul loves him. He's beloved. And there is, actually, historically, there is a servant's tomb in the catacombs underneath the city of Rome with the inscription Ampliatus. And so many people believe that that, uh, from the first, second century, that that belongs, that tomb belongs to him. It was a very prominent tomb, um, but also a servant's tomb. And so the argument is this, this was a servant in the church who was very prominent in the fellowship. Um, now, again, we have to weed through some church tradition. Church tradition says Ampliatus was one of the 70 disciples whom Jesus sent out in Luke chapter 10, two by two, that he was one of those original 70. And, and church tradition also says that he planted a church and ministered in Bulgaria before he was martyred. We, again, we, we can't know that for sure, but what we do know is just simply he's loved by Paul and he's beloved by Paul in the Lord. There may be someone sitting next to you not, that you're not married to, that you're not um, related to, and you would say, I don't know if I love them in the flesh, but in the Lord I love them. And so we have that fellowship, that brother and sister, uh, that, that true phileo love, Philadelphia, that we're brotherly and sisterly in the Lord. And so we can love one another with brotherly love. So he says, greet Ampliatus, he's my brother in love in the Lord. Then we have verse nine, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. There's that same phrase that he uses of uh, Priscilla and Aquila, and my beloved Stachys. Now, some argue that Urbanus used to be a slave, but then he was set free. Uh, and Paul says he's a fellow worker only for a handful of people. So we can surmise that this man, Urbanus, though we don't learn about him in Acts, went alongside Paul and ministered with him. Stachys is mentioned as beloved. Some people say this was the second bishop of Byzantine. Again, we don't know that for sure. But these are two more uh, men that Paul greets. Then verse 10, greet Apelles. And what we learn about Apelles is that he is, quote, approved in Christ. Now, 
Some have tried to say this was a mistake in, uh, in Tertius' writing, and what he meant to say was greet Apollos, that this is a, this is a, a mistake. Uh, this is Acts 18. Again, that's making a bad logical jump. There really can be a person named Apellus. It's a very common, popular name in Rome. But notice what Paul says about him. Paul says he is approved in Christ. Very important word. Circle, circle that word, uh, approved. This is actually, in the Greek, the polar opposite word than Romans 1.28. In Romans 1.28, you guys remember this study, Paul says that God gave them up to a, here's the word, debased mind to do what ought not to be done. That word debased is the exact opposite of this word approved. So the idea is that those who have, have traded in the knowledge of God, they have exchanged God's glory for a lie. They've exchanged the glory of God for, for creatures and they've exchanged gender roles uh, and sexual expression. Paul says those who have done this God has given them over to an unapproved mind. And yet Apellus is one who has in some way been tested and he has shown himself to be faithful and approved. His mind is given approval by God. He's approved in Christ. Uh, I just love that phrase. I think that would be an awesome way to maybe leave, leave a, 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 you know, a, an end to your email. Hey, just you know, love you, pilgrim approved in Christ. Love that. Love that phrase. And then we have Aristobulus. But note that Paul doesn't greet Aristobulus. He greets the family who belongs or those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. So Aristobulus is most likely the grandson of Herod the Great. Uh, he, according to history, moved to Rome in his later years just as a private citizen. Didn't try to, uh, to become anything important politically. Um, those who belong to his household may have been his family. More arguably, that's the large group of slaves or servants that worked for Aristobulus. And so Paul is, notice what he's doing. He's greeting the believers who are servants for Aristobulus. I love that Paul doesn't just address those like Phoebe who were wealthy benefactors. He doesn't just greet those who are important in the church uh, from a socioeconomic standpoint, but he greets those who are servants. Then he says in verse 11, greet my kinsman Herodion and greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. According to church tradition, Herodion was a relative of Paul's. That's why he says, greet my kinsman. Uh, and many people believe he was the pastor of the city of Patras. Um, and if this is true, then he as a pastor suffered great persecution. It was said that he was beaten, he was stoned, he was stabbed almost to death. He began to bleed out, and yet he pulled himself up, went back to the city, and continued ministering to the church for more years. Tradition records that Herodian was eventually beheaded on the exact day that Peter was crucified. And so that may be this kinsman, Herodian. And then Paul says, greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Same phrase that he uses uh, about uh, when he just uh, addressed those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. So he says, greet those in the Lord who belong. Don't greet Narcissus, okay? He, he, hasn't, he doesn't need anyone else puffing up his ego. <laughs> Don't greet that guy, <laughs> no. No, some believe he was actually the Emperor Claudius's secretary. Uh, but we, we don't know that for sure. But we do know that some of his servants ostensibly came to faith. And so Paul says, greet 
those servants who belong to that household. Then verse 12, again, we have more workers. Greet those workers in the Lord, Trephena and Trephosa. Um, just for fun, moms, pregnant moms, thinking of a new baby name. These are great. These names actually mean delicate and dainty. So very lovely names, delicate and dainty. And many people believe because they're listed together that they were sisters, that they were twins. And we don't know that again, can't be sure of that, but what do we know? They were doing good gospel work. They may have been delicate and dainty on the outside, and that's their namesake, but their hands were dirty in gospel ministry for the glory of God, for the good of the church. And I love that. Well, then he says to greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Now, Persis may be uh, a, a reflection on her ethnicity. She may be Persian, possibly, but she's beloved. She's not just my beloved. Paul says the beloved. So uh, not to make a big argument, but she may have been just a beloved older woman because Paul says she has worked hard in the Lord. In, in opposition to those who are currently working, these younger girls, Trephena, Trephosa, Persis has a, a history of being a servant. She may be now older in the faith and the days of the hard ministry are behind her, uh, but that doesn't mean that she still is not beloved by many. So greet her. She may be older. She can't do the ministry sh the way she used to, but she's a very important pillar in the church. Verse 13 introduces us to a very interesting duo. Verse 13 says, greet Rufus, whose name means red, redhead, chosen in the Lord. What a great way to describe someone. Rufus is chosen in the Lord. And also greet his mother, who's been a mother to me as well. We're going to learn a little bit more about Rufus in our time of communion later when we come to the Lord's table. But notice that Paul calls Rufus's mother. He says, she's been a mother to me as well. We did this a few Mother's Days ago where we talked about who was Paul's mom. And we talked about how uh, if there's anyone in Scripture we get evidence of, it's this woman who is a spiritual mother to him. And it, how important is it that we, if our moms are not believers, that we have a spiritual mom in the faith to encourage us, to pray for us, and to set a great example for us. Then in verses 14 and 15, we have two sets of five names. So first verse 14, greet uh, Ansicritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Again, not much to say about these five. Some are common names. Some are very uh, peculiar names for Rome. These may be slaves. They may be freedmen. Oh, actually, this is probably the men's ministry in the city of Rome. Maybe, maybe not. Then he says in verse 15, another set of five names. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Did you see what happened in both of these verses? First, greet these men and the brothers who are with them. Then greet these folks and all the saints who are with them. Some believe that these two sets of five were where some of the church would gather together, that these are, are two more houses where the church would meet. Maybe we would call it a community group, an equip group, a place where uh, they're mentioned together and all the brothers, all the saints who are with them. Certainly possible. But notice how Paul finishes this set of greetings. Verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Greet each other with a holy kiss. Circle that phrase, holy kiss. We see this many times in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 16, 20. 2 Corinthians 13, 12. 1 Thessalonians 5, 26. 
in 1 Peter 5, 14. So not just Paul, but also Peter. New Testament believers are commanded to greet one another. Now the New Testament does say, with a holy kiss. So we're excited today to announce a new practice that we're going to begin here at the church. Now the context, stay with me, the context is that in the ancient Mediterranean world of the Roman Empire, a kiss was the way that you would greet someone. You would greet each other with a kiss. This is an affectionate greeting. It was not to be used in the church with wrong motives, like Judas. It was not to be used to overexpress affection in some uh, inappropriate way. It was to be a holy kiss. In other words, it was acceptable to the Lord. It was set apart for his purposes to bring him glory. It was a means of accepting and welcoming one another, Romans 15, 17, as Christ has welcomed us to the glory of God. It was to say, you are welcome into the fellowship that we are experiencing with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So what we do is we take the deeper meaning underneath the cultural practice of greeting and welcoming one another, and then we can apply that to our cultural practice, which in our day is not a kiss, but it's what? It's a handshake typically. Now, I've seen some people do the fist bump. I guess that's okay. I've seen the elbow bump. That's just silly. Can we move away from that, please? <laughs> Let's just stop that. Here at Shoreline, if, you, if you're a man, we typically do the reach out for the, for the uh, handshake, bring it in, two tap, double tap, love you. Right? We do the, the side double tap. It's gotta be at least two. One is like, you okay? You know, three is like, okay, it's been that sort of week. All right. So, so that's our way of, it's, it's a formal greeting, if you would, but what's underneath it is saying this, no one is excluded from the body of Christ. If you're Jew, you're Gentile. If you're slave or you're free. If you're male or you're female. If you're rich or you're poor. You are welcomed into the fellowship that we have. We greet you. We welcome you with holiness. And Paul says all the churches of Christ greet you. So the church collectively, the body of Christ, comes together and gives its greetings to the church in Rome. Again, a lot here, isn't there? And in two weeks, we'll conclude the book of Romans and look at some more names as well. Now, to apply this passage of scripture before we move into a closing time of worship and communion, um, I want to just apply this in two ways, just two points. First, along this line is that every Christian is an important recognized citizen in God's kingdom. Notice that Paul does not just greet the elders or deacons. He doesn't just greet the important people in the church. He doesn't just mention men. He doesn't just mention those who stood with notoriety or renown. No, he mentions many people who, apart from Scripture, we would never know about in history. And yet, they're memorialized in the canon of holy writ for all eternity because they're willing servants, because they're fellow workers alongside other members in the church who enjoyed God's grace and extended God's glory. I loved reading this week about Winston Churchill, who in World War II recognized that there are some people who work behind the scenes and don't get the credit, uh, like some of the troops. Uh, and so he was convincing the English coal miners that you're all vitally important to the war effort. And here's what he said. He said, one will say, I was a fighter pilot. Another will say, I was in the submarine service. And you, in turn, your turn, will say with equal pride and with equal right, we cut the coal. See, the church, the church is not merely a building that you admire 
It's not merely a live stream you observe or an event you attend. It's the gathering of God's covenantal people. We are a fellowship of the blood-bought, and we all have a critically important role to play in extending God's glory to the nations. So not just in the Roman church, but more broadly in Jesus's church, there are servants. There are servants who spend their resources to support and advance the gospel. There are some who risk their necks to ensure that the gospel will advance. There are some who entreat others to be their spiritual sons and daughters in the faith. There's also new believers who are the first in their families or in their communities to come to saving faith. There are the seasoned saints who are pouring into those younger believers. There are those who anonymously work hard behind the scenes, and there are some who are very well known among even people of prominence and even outside of the fellowship. But my question is this, if Paul were addressing Shoreline Church, if he were writing this to say to us, how would he reference you and your family? My question is, have you taken the time to become a member of our covenant community and use your gifts serving the Lord and our community? Would Paul mention you or would he say who? And so every Christian is an important recognized citizen in God's kingdom. But secondly, welcoming and greeting one another is a New Testament command. The greeting time that we have here is, by the way, that is not just a time of transition between the worship team and the preaching or the announcements. That's not just that. That's not the only purpose of that. Um, And neither is it uh, designed by the pastors to stress out introverts. Okay, that's that's not why we have a greeting time. It's taking the time to find someone to acknowledge them, to welcome them, to greet them in Jesus' name and to say, you are seen. You are heard. You have value. You've been created in the image of God. In fact, I was talking with Pastor Micah this week, and um, didn't you say in Siberia, in Russia, there's certain ways that you do greet um, people in the church differently than a hello. Uh, So there's like a special reserved greeting that um, in in that language, in that people group that you have in the church. Uh, And so we would say, Christ died for you. He knows your name. You are important. We welcome you in the name of the Lord. Barclay says there should be no strangers in the family of Christ. There should be no need for formal introductions between Christian people, for they are sons and daughters of the one Father and therefore brothers and sisters of each other. That's what we have in Christ. Our greetings are holy. Our welcoming is in the same manner that Christ welcomed us to the glory of God. As we close the sermon, we consider these 27 unique names. In fact, there's 35 in the entire chapter. And we realize we must be struck by the fact that these names are written not just in Scripture, but they're also written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Beloved, do you know your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Those of you who have repented of your sin and trusted Christ, your name is written there. There's a hymn that says that. My name is written there. It says, My name once stood with sinners lost, and bore a painful scroll, but by his blood the Savior crossed and placed it on his roll. Yet inward trouble often cast a shadow where it appears, but now with full salvation blessed, praise God, it's ever clear. While others climb through worldly strife to carve a name so fair, high up in heaven's book of life, my name is written there. Your name is written there, beloved. He knows your name. He recognizes your name. He welcomes you. He approves you. You've been chosen in the Lord. 
You've been approved in Christ. You're beloved because of the finished work of Christ. May we rejoice in that truth this morning. May we sing together, Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, I was marked, my name was, was known as, as at enmity with God, a child of wrath, and yet now because of the finished work of Christ, I can declare, Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table, secured for us because of the mercy of our dear Lord and Savior. Amen? Let's bow our heads together, and in a moment, our ushers are going to come and distribute the elements, and I would like you to hold on to those for a few moments uh, while we wrap up this part of our gathering. We'll have a time of petition, uh, praying for a people group, and then a time of confession of sin and being reassured that we are forgiven, we have pardon in Christ, and then we'll take communion after that. So in just a moment, our ushers will come and distribute those uh, only for believers, and so bow your heads with me as we pray. Father, we again thank you for welcoming us into the family. Lord, with all these names here, we may meet them in eternity and be able to share together in the fellowship, not only of the suffering of your son, but in the glory of your resurrection. Lord, we come to you this morning thankful with gratitude. As we approach the Lord's table, we do it with sobriety and brokenness, seeing our own sin yet also with joy, knowing that our sin has been forgiven in Christ. So, Father, we pray that you would bless this time as we surrender our lives to you. May we, like Paul, greet one another in Christ. Give us the strength, Lord, to overlook differences, to care for one another, to receive one another. We ask that you would bless our fellowship and grow us for the glory of God in these things, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Shoreline Church meets every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. at the Port on Lena Road. You can get more content and more information by visiting thisisshoreline.com. If you have any questions or any prayer needs, please don't hesitate to email us at info at God bless you.